Good morning, listeners, and welcome to this week's Agri-Report. I'm Jim Finn. Now, later on in the programme, I will be talking to Norma Rowan from Embrace Farm, and we will be talking about new things that they are doing for people who have suffered a tragedy or families that have suffered a tragedy. I will also be talking to Brian Egan, and Brian is with Bluebird Care. And my final guest this morning will be Albert Purcell. And you all know Albert. He's one of the people who runs that wonderful event at Christmas, the Tractors with the Lights in Nina. Listeners, my first guest this morning is Niall Lynch from Chagas uh, here in the county. He's up there in Nina. And uh, we're going to be talking about calving uh, beef efforts down at 24 months. Good morning, Niall, and thanks for uh, joining us. Good morning, Jim. Now, Niall, what are the benefits of calving down at 24 months? So calving at a younger age means that the breeding females have um, an opportunity to produce more calves over their lifetime. So as all our farmers out there know that more calves on the ground means more money in the pocket. So there'll also be a lower stocking rate on the farm than if the older heifers are being carried as replacements currently. Mm -hmm. So that'll help drop stocking rate and that has a good few knock-on effects there with um, costs associated with the farms as well. So by getting your genetically superior heifers to calve down younger, you'll be getting faster genetic improvements within your herd then. Um, so you can um, breed your, your better heifers from your better cows quicker. And the big thing that um, is going to have an effect going forward is that based off uh, Chagas modeling work, reducing the age of first calving from three years of age to two years of age could cut your carbon f- footprint on your farm by 12% alone, just changing that one practice on the farm. So the reduced footprint comes from the cow calving at 24 months, producing more product, which is the beef that we're producing from our beef farms, than the heifer calving at 36 months over her lifetime. Okay. And then what heifers then should a farmer identify for replacing? Yeah. So, Jim, that's the big thing. Um, so you really want to pick our best heifers um, for potential replacements from your mm-hmm. best cows. So your best heifers come from your best cows. And it's to look at these early on in the year. So identify at least 20% of your herd size as replacements if you're breeding your own replacement heifers. These heifers should be sourced from cows that have some of the basics that we'd be looking for. So they're calving um, within the year. So they're calving within the 365 days. They calve nice and early in the season. So as we see, a good early calf gets a, a better run mm-hmm. at the year um, and we have better get, weight gain on that. And look, a big thing, I, we know a lot of beef farmers and suckler farmers have off-farm jobs and stuff. So good docility. So nice, quiet cows is what we're after. And then um, we look, keep going after cows that are producing quality top calf class one after the other and then we're also looking at some of the other bits and pieces on it so looking at high maternal replacement index so we're looking at that from off the icbf system so we're looking for heifers that have an icbf replacement index of 100 and above that and the basics like having good confirmation uh, milking ability and that they're coming from cows with good feet as well okay what about easy calving in the breeding? yeah easy 
Easy Cattle is another big one that we want to take from the the from the dam as well, Jim. Yeah. And uh, then we'd also be looking at when when it comes to breeding and stuff, that picking the 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 right bull for the right heifer. Then at that stage. Of course, so that and that's very important as well. It want to be an easy calving bull uh, as well. Now, a farmer has uh, a bunch of heifers in that bracket at the moment, and of course, uh, that animal has to be looked after and looked after properly because she is very young, and uh, she needs to be at a a certain uh, maturity before she calves. So, what kind of management has the farmer to be? Uh, aware of to get that ca- cow to calve down at the time they want in the very very best possible condition yeah so it's all about targets with this gym mm. really so we're in the month of december now so hopefully mm. when them heifers were going into them shed and they were weighing off the cows that they were between 280 and 320 kilos okay yeah so now we have to control what we can control from now on so um, heifers identified as replacements are our priority stock on the farm, right? So right. they're first and foremost, we want to really, really treat these heifers well. These heifers are our future cows, and that's what's going to make us profit on the farm. So to meet the target weight um, for bulling the heifers at 15 months, over the next couple of, couple of months during the winter, they need to gain between 60 and 80 kilos. This way can be achieved by adopting the following. So... Make sure the sheds are well ventilated. Um, do not mix them with older stock. Try and prioritize them on their own. Make sure there's no overcrowding in the pins and that they have between 1.7 and 2 squared meters per annual. Um, simple things like making sure there's good, clean drinking water. Um, check and make sure they're dosed accordingly for parasites. So are they done for lungworm? Are they done for, are they done for liver flu, etc.? If that's a problem on your farm. And the big things is we need to get top quality feed into these heifers. Mm-hmm. So we're looking for silage that has a DMD of 70 and above. Oh. And we're looking at feeding one to two kilos of ration per head per day with it. If you have silage that's lower than that, we'd be looking at feeding more ration on top of that again. Okay. Yeah. And the big thing with these is the first group of heifers, it's to get them turned out to grass and get them as your first group of animals to turn out to grass. So good and early giving them a rise of plan and nutrition from there on in. Now, next Tuesday is a very uh, special day for any beef farmer. So maybe you tell my listeners of why it is a very special day for beef farmers. Yeah, so the National Beef Conference is on next Tuesday evening, the 13th of December at 6pm. And it's on in the Shearwater Hotel in Ballinasloe, County Galba. Um, and look, it's really what it's about is um, profitability pathways to sustainable um, beef farming. So we're going to be looking at what direction the, the, the beef situation will be hitting into over the next coming years and what direction um, the environment and the cap is going to have on that going forward, Jim. Right. And usual lineup of speakers, I suppose. Yeah, so we have um, Professor Frank O'Mara, the Chagas Director, mm-hmm. opening it. Um, it'll be chaired by um, Pat Clark, who's the Regional Manager there in Galway. Yeah. And then we'll also have speakers um, from various research centres around. So we have Dr. Paul Crossan will be talking there about the key factors driving pro- um, profitability on farm. Um, and then we have other speakers from Animal Health Ireland, um, Colin Byrne will always also be talking there, who's based in the Grange office. 
and we have Nicky Byrne who will be talking on Red Clover and is there a spot for that in your beef production system? So a not to be missed event for anybody who uh, is uh, a beef farmer. Exactly, Jim. Yeah, oh. so we'd um, hope to hope to see everyone there. Okay, well, look at now. Uh, for now, we leave it. I want to thank you ever so much for joining us this morning, and may I wish you and all your colleagues a very happy Christmas and a peaceful New Year. Same to you, Jim, and like to wish all the the listeners a happy Christmas as well. That listeners was Niall Lynch from Chagas. Listeners, my next guest this morning is Norma Rowan from Embrace Farm, and uh, Norma dropped in to me to do a little bit of work. And uh, we decided that we would have a little chat about the latest developments and the latest things that are happening with Embrace Farm. Norma, thanks very much for calling in to see me during the week. Thanks for having me, Jim. Okay. Now, Norma, I believe that you have some new initiatives. We do. So um, we've been uh, gathering up a bit of information to try and make up a pack for newly bereaved farm families. So... um, it, uh, it is a pack where we have lots of information, lots of um, guidance around how to get through those early weeks and early months when you're suddenly bereaved. Um, it goes specifically into if you've lost a, a spouse or maybe a child or a family member, even a little bit for the community surrounding that family. Some, you know, tips. Some people, sometimes people don't know what to say to a grieving family so we have a few little tips in there about maybe some language to use and maybe some language not to use. We've also got some very good practical initiatives in there as well about trying to explain how the inquest process works. And succession is a big issue with farm families. You know, if the natural successor has has suddenly died, who will now take on that farm? So there's a number of questions in there for farm families to begin asking themselves on where they might start with that process in identifying another successor or maybe that's not the plan now so there's just some questions in there that you might be able to ask yourself to guide you through that now embrace farm would always always recommend that a farm family would consult with their uh, farm family their family solicitor their family accountant their farm advisor and you know it wouldn't be a bad idea maybe to try and bring all of them together with a trusted family friend or neighbor Mm -hmm. that is familiar with the similar type business and sit down around the table and have a good old discussion about what is next for this business and this family okay now you're 10 years in existence or thereabouts don't believe it's 10 years since the first time i spoke um but anyway getting back to you mentioned community mm-hmm. and you're 10 years at it so the wider community do they suffer bereavement as well when a neighbor is killed in a farm accident is that your experience yes yes uh, and just comment we are 10 years in existence next june will be the 10th remembrance service for embrace farm so we're looking forward to that um but yes i, I do find that when um bad things happen on farms the first to come to your aid is your neighbours mm-hmm. and your extended family and the people in your community they're absolutely brilliant so they are and only for them uh, rural Ireland wouldn't be what it is without your neighbours and your friends so we do find a lot of them get in contact with us mm-hmm. 
on how can they support the the, breed, the grieving family at this point in time. Lots rush in and help with milking cows, feeding cattle, bringing in the silage, whatever whatever it is that's needed on the farm at that point in time when, when tragedy strikes. I would always remind people that when they are helping the grieving family, you know, that grieving family is in shock. They're traumatised. They find it very difficult to make decisions. I wouldn't be encouraging anyone to have a grieving family make some immediate lasting decisions in those early days because a family is in shock and very raw and is very is finding very difficult to contemplate what's going on around them, not to mind trying to make lasting decisions. As the weeks and the months go ahead and you as a neighbour may have been helping this family but then that family starts to get stronger and they're able to start doing those tasks or it might be something as, as simple as collecting the kids or, or doing something like that for a, for a widow is, you know, is to allow that family to kind of find that strength and come back in to be able to do those things again for themselves and, um, you know, try and mm -hmm. move forward. So it is very, very difficult time. And without the help of neighbours and community and extended family, grieving families wouldn't be able to go from one day to the next. OK, you mentioned bringing in the family solicitor as mm. part of it. Uh, but again, from your experience, you know, with all the people that you have dealt with down through the years, I presume a lot of them haven't farmers that were killed or whatever the case may be, hadn't got a will made. Yeah. That's a big problem. It is. It is a big problem. And I think IFAC have done some research around this and they estimate that something like over well over 80 percent of farm families do not have a succession plan in place. Mm. And, and while that sounds OK and it might sound been uh, morbid to start talking about what happens after you died. But at the end of the day, these are businesses and the businesses need to continue um, irregardless of who's running them, uh, I guess. It is important to identify as a, a succession plan, to have conversations with your family. And, you know, these things can be changed. Of course. You know, if you spend a couple of hours just going and talking to your farm uh, family solicitor, your accountant, your tax uh, advisor, those things, and just put some kind of a plan in place. You can always come back and change it again in another couple of years. But it is very important to have some kind of a plan in place just in case something bad happens. So the best Christmas present so any farm family could give themselves this Christmas would be go and get a will made. Well, that would certainly be my advice. And from dealing with farm families that have come through Embrace Farm, you're not just dealing with the emotional loss of the person mm. afterwards. There's all these practicalities that you have to deal with afterwards. And young widows tell us, if only I had known what his wishes were, we never had the conversation. Mm -hmm. And now they're left in that state of what will we do with this farm? Should we keep it for the children to grow up? Will they even want to farm it? Mm -hmm. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. Um, should I lease it or should I sell it? And each one of those things that you decide to do have consequences. For example, if you sell, you've tax bill to pay. You've all these things to happen. So at least if you had an idea of what you both wanted to do yeah. before tragedy struck, maybe you might be able to follow out those wishes. And then if you are the young widow left making the decisions, you may have family in-laws who may not be happy with your decision. Now, they may be very happy with what you're deciding to do, but there are instances where they're not happy and further disagreements happen and further family fallout happen as well. 
and that's awful to see especially grandchildren uh, mm-hmm. losing out in that relationship with grandparents but it does happen and again if there was a plan in place beforehand maybe some of those things could have been avoided who knows I well look at thanks for dropping in thanks for giving us a few words for this week's programme that listeners was Norma Rowan from Embrace Farm Listeners, my next guest this morning is Brian Egan, and Brian works for Bluebird Care, and now he's going to tell me all about it. Good morning, Brian, and thanks for joining us here on Tip FM on this Saturday morning. Good morning, Jim. I'm absolutely delighted to to be on, and thanks for thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Now, first of all, Brian, will you tell me a little bit about Bluebird Care in general now? Yeah, yeah, no problem, Jim. I suppose Bluebird Care are a, a home care provider. And mm-hmm. when I say home care provider, what we do is we we, we have carers that keep people at home. So uh, people of all ages now, so you have children with disabilities and medical conditions, adults with, say, disabilities and other conditions, and also older people. And what we do is we provide trained and vetted carers that are managed and supervised by nurses and trying to help them stay at home. And that's on behalf of the HSE. We're a HSE approved provider and, and for people privately. And, you know, most people want to stay at home, Jim. There's absolutely fantastic nursing homes around and all that. But I think people have to have the choice. And if people want to stay at home, I suppose we're part of that uh, sector to try and keep people at home and safely at home, at home in comfort and safely in their own environment. So in a nutshell, that's that's what we do, I suppose, Jim. There's yeah. a lot more going on, but uh, that, that, that gives you a brief synopsis, I hope. Yeah, when when you say countrywide, do you mean the whole of the uh, twenty six counties? Yeah, so Bluebird Care are a, they're what's called a franchise organisation. Yeah. So there's different uh, different people operating the Bluebird Care in different counties. Uh, uh, yeah. But 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 to the same policies and procedures, there's 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 national governance and oversight. We're audited by Bluebird Care and by the HSC. So but there'd be different owners in different areas and. Uh, and that's how it's, you know, we, we all know each other. And, you know, Ireland's a small place. So we all want to ensure we're all providing safe care. But there are different owners around the country. So just to, okay. I suppose, mention that, yeah. Okay, Brian. Now, your involvement then in County Tipperary. Yeah, I suppose that's a, a bit of a funny one in, in relation to, we, we actually believe, would you believe we, we own Carlow, Kenny and Waterford franchise, which is obviously all counties are near, pretty much neighbouring Tipperary. And we took over Tipperary, uh nearly a year ago now jim right and uh and so we've we've four counties together where we're providing the support and you know when you take over anything i suppose it involves a lot of change and that's why it's a good opportunity to have a chat today we would have uh back when we took it over nearly a year ago we had to review all our processes we wanted to bring the organization kind of in sync with the way we're doing it in carroll kenny and waterford because we have a fairly good template here overseen by a, a very good director of care and that takes that all takes time to do uh and so and part of that as well, I suppose, I suppose it's appropriate to mention it here, Jim. You know, while we were doing that last March, our main clinical manager, a, a lovely lady called Mary Wade, uh, went out very sick in Tipperary. Yeah. She's from Cashel originally. And poor Mary, would you believe, and I know her family won't mind me mentioning, she was an unbelievable lady. She passed away in April, quite a young lady, right. passed away. And that was a massive blow to everybody in the community. She was a, a, a massive part of Bluebird Care. She was a clinical nurse manager with a great reputation. And that set everybody back. You know, obviously, her family more important than anybody. But as regards the business, you know, it wasn't the same without Mary. Uh, it takes time to readjust to that. So we're only now come ready again to grow. And uh, you know, we're out there. You know, we've, we've a business to grow. We're looking to 
recruit staff. But you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't mm -hmm. talk about Mary lightly. I suppose I just want to, I suppose, yeah. mention her again in great respect. We, we have so much respect for her and her family. And just to mention, it was part of our our big changeover. Something that you don't expect, and a very sad time for everybody in a, in in South Tipperary and, and Tipperary overall. You know. Yeah, Brian, it's very kind of you to uh, talk so kindly of uh, Mary. So uh, you're now building in Tipperary. So when you say building in Tipperary, are you? Do you have a presence in the main uh, urban areas? Yeah, so we do. And, you know, in fairness, there was always a, a bit of a presence there. Uh, and we just wanted to, you know, as I said earlier on, review everything, how we do and everything, and bring it in sync with, with the mm -hmm. other Bluebird Care locally. And now we feel we're, we're, we have a better structure and we're ready to grow again. So we already had a presence. We were providing care throughout Tipperary. But our, our Carlo Kenny and Waterford office is probably the biggest Bluebird Care office in Ireland. Uh, as regards the number of carers so we're now ready to you know, recruit strongly in Tipperary uh, we're currently recruiting 30 people throughout Tipperary and uh, we're initially focusing on you know some main towns just to just to, to build it mm -hmm. you have to start somewhere so that's Cashville, Clonmel, Tiptown, Turles and Nina but we, we'll be recruiting everywhere and we have a great uh, template to try and uh, build a business create good employment for people with good benefits but also provide the best quality care and you know, if we tried to do that last January or February or whatever May, we wouldn't have the right plan. So things have to be done properly because it's such a, a valuable and important service you're delivering. And we just think we're in a better place now to deliver that service and try and make a difference for all those families out there and, and, and for people to create some, some jobs that hopefully might might be of interest to, to, to people in Tipperary. I suppose just to say, Jim, before we finish up on that, we had brilliant people already. We've carers working there a number of years, absolutely brilliant people. And they're still with us, you know, and, uh, and they're going strong and providing care for clients for years, their own clients. And same with people in the office. There's Lady Margaret Kennedy in the office and Claire, absolutely brilliant people as well. Uh, but we're hoping to build on that, build on that platform that's there and hopefully drive on to the next level, you know. Right, Rightio. Now, you mentioned the main centres of population in Tipperary. And of course, yeah. uh, a lot of people listening to the two of us this morning, Brian, will be living in rural Ireland and some of them in very isolated parts of rural Ireland and they're yeah. getting older and they need care in their own home. So yeah. needless to mention, I presume you'll be spreading out into the rural parts of Tipperary. Yeah, 100%, Jim, and a very, very, very valid point. That rural isolation is, you know, mm. people deserve to live at home and there's nothing like your own couch or your own neighbourhood. Uh, and, you know, it's it's something that we're very, very conscious of. And when I say these main towns, I suppose mm -hmm. what we're really doing is drawing a circle around like a Cashel or a circle around like a Turles. So you're not talking about just, just providing it on the main streets or the main areas at all. You just want people that uh, can be in those general areas. And we draw a circle where we can put a, a kind of roster run in place in the general area uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and supporting the rural areas. And then, as you say, we'll build and go out further because Tipperary is such a a big county uh we, you know you have to grow from somewhere and when you when you start start with a base it's easier to grow and we want to be able to you know we don't want to just focus on things that are you know the the, the easier ones to do we want to be able to support anybody we can and we know this from carlo kenny and waterford a lot of rural areas as well uh, and we're out you know places where you know very little that uh, you know transport exists and all that type of thing you know there's no public transport mm -hmm. and those services are needed as well so especially in you know the farm community uh, and you know, people just yeah. want to stay at home in their local area, and yeah, that's that's a plan as well, Jim. So I appreciate that question. Okay, your typical client then, who is the typical client? Yeah, I mean, it, it really does vary, Jim. Like we yeah. are providing care for children, you know, young as a few months old that come home from like Crumlin and Temple Street with serious medical conditions. 
Now they take different planning. They take, you know, the nurses would provide that care. And it has to be, you know, there's a lot of stringent training and various other things going on, but it's very, very doable. We've kids living at home for years now that might never have got home from Crumlin. And then you have, you know, as I say, children and adults with disabilities and older people. So it really does vary. And if you talk just about even older people, um, Jim, like you could have a person that only wants to visit just to prompt their medication or to make sure that they're going to, you know, they're going to have, uh, make sure that they're going to have their tea. Or you might need to have somebody that's pretty much bed bound and needs uh, needs help with a wash uh, and and just needs a bit of security, people popping in to make sure they're okay. So it really does visit. And for that reason, before we start anything, whether it's a visit on behalf of the HSE or a person privately, one of our nurses has to go out and visit, has to go out and do what we call a risk assessment. But that risk assessment is really a chat to get mm-hmm. to know the person, get to know their needs, get to know, you know make them feel comfortable who's coming into their house because your house is, is your sanctuary. It's your private place. So we want to explain that people are going to come in that are vetted and trained and they're going to do what you need done. And then they'll, they'll respect your privacy and then they'll be off, off out to, to see somebody else. So uh, there's no typical person, I suppose, Jim. And that's why it's a tailor-made care plan that everybody gets. And uh, they know that there's a good office support team there to contact if, if things need to be improved, you know, as regards changed or whatever else it is. Some of the people listening to us this morning, Brian, would mind, yeah. would probably say at this stage in this interview after listening that you're a kind of a halfway house between uh, them being up and running and really active and alive in their own house and then something happens and maybe the next step for most might be a nursing home. Um, and uh, that's the one thing I say we might have to disagree on uh, today, Jim. Okay, <laughs> good, know, good. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh, and that's because, you know, and we, we have people that, that are home with very, very complex uh, okay. conditions. You know, there's mm-hmm. a, a given example, I suppose, and it's, it's a Kilkenny example now more than anything, but uh, it's a gentleman that, that was in ICU for two or three years up in James's, and wow. uh, he's home now um, eight years. He has a very, very complex condition, uh, you know, ventilators and various sort of machinery mm-hmm. at home, equipment at home, and with the right care, with the right care plan, with the right risk management, he can be kept at home forever. Everybody can be kept at home forever. And I suppose I'll go back to the nursing homes that beyond me now given out to me. There's, there's brilliant nursing homes. I mean, it, but it's people's choice. Some people might say, I want to go into a nursing home because... You know, there's activities going on or I'm going to meet other people or I just feel as if I want to go in. You know, so, sure, some yeah. nursing homes are like four-star hotels, you know, so they're, they're brilliant places. But it's about the choice, Jim. If people want to stay at home, mm-hmm. it is 100% doable, no matter what condition they have, even if there's, you know, advanced Alzheimer's or dementia. There's various other kind of technology supports as well around uh, that can help with these things as well, you know, in around care because, you know, mm-hmm. private care can be expensive. It really can. So you'd hope, you know, people can pay something privately, some support from the HSE, some family support and maybe some of the other technology supports that they have. Um, and they're, they're I'm talk about centers and various things that are very, very, you know, uh, advanced at this stage to make, to help people stay at home. I know it's not easy and we've mm-hmm. come across very, very challenging situations because, you know, people might have families living in Australia or Canada and all that. And it's very hard to organize care, but I, I definitely think it's, it's becoming more common where people can stay at home with, uh, yeah. with, with, with the right home care in place. And, you know, I think there's even a statutory, a statutory uh, home care scheme going to be in place very soon, which is going to match kind of the uh, the fair deal scheme for nursing homes, and that's been a big gap, you know, right. for many years. That you know that that kind of uh, that scheme wasn't there, and it should have been there because you know government policy is keeping people at home. So hopefully we'll on a par. And I'll go back to the phrase: people have the choice, Jim, and they can decide. You know, will it be a nursing home or will I stay at home? And uh, you know, it's my decision, which is what life is about. You know. Okay. Now, 
anybody listening to us this morning, Brian, and they would like to know more or they may have a relative or a friend that would need the type of care that you are providing, how can yeah. they make contact with you? Yeah, the best thing is either, you know, a uh, call to the office or just you know, go on the website, you'll find all the information. I know not everybody is internet savvy, but most people are these days or an email into Tipperary at bluebirdcare.ie. But what we'll do, first of all, is we'll just send the information by post or email and people can literally just, you know, sieve through it themselves, look at all the information and become more comfortable. And the one thing we'll always say, you know, if somebody's in a rural area, you know, tell us where you are and we'll straight away look at our staffing availability and see can we support you. There's no point telling somebody you can deliver the service and then you try and start and the person is, is really excited about you know, being able to stay at home and then you can't deliver the service. You need to be honest with people. So, uh, yeah, pick up the phone, uh, email or, or, or come, on, come on the website and, uh, you know, as I said to you, apart from private uh, care, mm-hmm. we are a partner to HSC who are, are very good to work with. The HSC are genuinely trying their best to try and get uh, home care packages out there but, you know, staffing is a big, is a bit of a struggle at the moment and hopefully that will improve over the next few months as well, you know. OK, well, look at Brian. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Listeners, that was Brian Egan from Bluebird Care. Listeners, my next guest this morning is involved in that wonderful spectacle that happens in Nina at this time every year. And it's the tractors with all the Christmas lights on them. And, of course, as they go through the town of Nina, they really do cause a stir. So I have Albert Purcell, and Albert has been involved in this wonderful event for ever since its inception, really. And it always causes a buzz in the town of Nina. And as you probably know, listeners, it's done for charity as well. So, good morning, Albert, and uh, thanks very much for joining us this morning. Good morning, morning, Jim, and thanks thanks for having us on this morning. Okay, now, tell us all about tractors and light. It's happening on Sunday, uh, tomorrow week, is that right? Tomorrow week, the 18th of December. Yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah, Uh, the 18th. What's new, for starters? Well, what's new this year, funny you should ask, Jim, is that we have a Christmas cracker, a 30-foot Christmas mobile Christmas cracker, and in the cracker itself is a, is an Elf's workshop with, with, with Elf's, live Elf's that will be working. And it's the brainchild of Oliver Kennedy, who's a retired agricultural contractor and had built the Polar Express train, and that will be taking part in it this year, as will be the, the, the trademark of the Christmas tractors, Nina, the, the Flying Snowman. That was the brainchild of John Kendi, another agricultural co- uh, contractor from Nina, also an engineering genius. But um, we'd had the snowman since 2018. Last year was the Polar Express train, which was a huge success. And this year is the, the creme de la creme, which is going to blow it out of the water, is this uh, this huge rocket with the elves working inside in it. So it's uh, not only is it a tractor and, and implements all lit up and silage and combine harvesters and snow machines and... The, every a vintage, modern, every kind of farm machinery. We also have a few floats, and we're delighted this year. Another addition will be the brass band, the Nina brass band. will be leading us off there. They'll be on a mobile. Hopefully, there's a few elderly gentlemen that are members of the brass band, and hopefully their nerves aren't too bad, Jim. You know yourself when <laughs> you'd be on a hay trailer as a young man there. There could be a few little wobbles or bumps along the way, but we'll, we'll, we'll manage that, please, God. 
Well, at least they won't be on top of square bales stacked uh, maybe 10 rows high. Definitely, that would be wobbling. There's no doubt at all about it. How long has it taken people to put all these lights onto the tractors, come up with the new ideas? Have you been working on it since this time last year? Well, some of them have, actually, because they go out straight away after the parade and start buying. They, 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 it's, it's all done with their own expense, like the lights, any cost, the inverters, the snow machines. It's all done voluntary. And voluntary, I mean, is the, the, all the 30 contractors, they, they pay out of their own pocket. But they, they go at it straight after the, the event is over. They'd be looking online for lights and rope lights. And, like, I... I I genuinely couldn't, I shouldn't be getting any credit for it because even my wife would tell me at home I can't put in a light bulb. But no, the lads would be doing that. And and the crackers, I say with Oliver, like that's been in, in, in construction since July. Yeah. And um, he's well planned. Whereas the guys now, say a week or a fortnight beforehand, they'll pull in the, the tractors anyway will be coming in. The slurry date is closed. The fertilizer date is closed. Tractors get a bit of a rest, but they bring them in and start two weeks previous there, washing them up and, and polishing them up and then then say three, four nights beforehand. Did it take a couple of nights or a couple of days there? It depending I know that the combine on tracks this year with Eamon Gaynor is um they they're a quarter way through it there. They did five hours on Sunday and they got less than a quarter of it done, you know, but so it depends on the size but they put in a huge, huge effort because we have guys from Bursa Cain that've been doing this stationary um uh, stationary mm-hmm. event for years and years for charity and they they really set the bar and the guys like i'm not not knocking any other ones it's great any event that comes on but ours isn't a tractor run it's more a parade it's more quality than quantity and they, these guys in bursa k and more too you know and more and, and the likes of them have set up the standard and and the boys when they think the tractor is over they'll always put another set of lights on so like they they, they know people are expecting and I, I guarantee you they won't be letting them down you know and albert what time then does it start off at well the whole day actually jim but we were around on the saturday because we're delighted we're very friendly with the guys in florida there from from disneyland mm-hmm. and mickey and minnie and and the paw patrol and peter pig and all those they're around lean on the saturday because we have a little shop going there we're selling christmas tractor woolly hats and coloring packs and um we also have a monster draw with five thousand euros worth of prizes there with timber, with an electric jeep for, for kids with farm sets from all the shops in Nina Toy Toy Master uh, JKC there in Nina, um, all the restaurants, all the boutiques. I can't name too many, but all vouchers, but up to five thousand. So we're around on the Saturday all day in the shop. On the Sunday, then it's a full day Christmas fair because we've we've a Christmas market at the end of Kenya Street. We have kids' amusements, lovely, lovely crowd that come up from, from Waterford there with lovely kiddies' amusements and very reasonable. But i just say one thing they said last year about the kids, and we're always talking about children and what they've been through in the last couple of years with the pandemic, is that they passed the compliment that they never heard as many please and thank yous from the children that were there, not only from Nina, not only from North Tipperary, but like we have people, I've emails from people from England coming over, flying into Shannon on Saturday and coming over for this parade. But it's just lovely to hear that, that we're doing this for the kids. Of course, we're doing it for charity, but to see the smile that it brings, but to hear that back, you know, that kids are saying please and thank you. And, you know, that they're so appreciative of what effort the guys put in and what effort we all put in. So it's an all-day event, and we have the puppets on the street. We have Christmas music. We have the monster draw. We're selling the hats, and we have a bit of crack. And then 
come five o'clock then we try and clear the streets a little bit and the parade is, is due off from Nina Mart and going through the streets of Nina from six o'clock. But that's being led off by, as I say, the brass band, followed by, we're lucky we have um, Rudolph Dancer and Prancer and they're leading off the kiddies. We'll have maybe 60 or 70 kids on pedal tractors and then Santee in the Polar Express, the cracker, and then we let off the parade. The 30 agricultural boys just hit the streets with their with their amazing magical show, you know. And what's the route then? You're starting at the cattle march or what? Going we're starting into... in Central Auctions, thanks yeah. to Mike Harty and, and, and that. And we're starting there. We're coming, heading down right. We're going up Kenyon Street, uh, down the main street and Nina Pier Street, up to the top end. And we're down Spout Road. It's the old Dublin Road. We turn right, we go in by Little Abbey Retail, the railway station, and we finish up back in the mark. So it's a just we're not turning on each other, we're going around in the square route. We'll have plenty of route maps in the town and there'll be plenty of um, uh, signage there where the where the parade is and there'll be great 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 area there for viewing because we're expecting there'll be the massive crowd over since two thousand and eighteen. It's been building, building, building. And uh, we'll have plenty of room for, for people to view it, you know, in it's, comfort. Yeah, it's a loop, really. A loop, that's yeah. what it is of the town. And, and again, I have to thank Rosemary, Joyce and County Council, the guards, the shops, like the chamber. Everyone is just behind it because it's the feel-good factor. And it's bringing, it's bringing the old Christmas back to Nina. That's what it is, you know. And it's bringing people into the town and just to see the, the, the faces of the people. And at the same time, we're raising money, you know, which is, which is the, the be-all and end-all of it, like, you know, really. Right. Okay. What's your charities this week, this year? This year we we have changed because up to, in 2018 to, to to last year 2021 we were with Embrace because Angela Hogan would be a very good friend mm-hmm. of mine, and um, her her partner there, Brendan Kelly, was was tragically uh, killed in a farm accident, and he would have been very very close to us. He was an agricultural co- uh, contractor, and that's why it, it all ties in that the guys are doing this, but. This year we've moved from Embrace, and it's not saying we're gone from Embrace, we'll be coming back, but we're doing this lovely charity, the A-team, that's set up by a farmer's wife who has a child living with autism, that's how I'll say it, and their their their, their goal, and they are going to reach it, is that they're getting a youth club in Nina, they have youth uh, Ireland behind them, they're guaranteed a building, we've already done a concert for them in September there with the Celtic Tenors, and these are a formidable group of, there's Ailish Cleary there, she won't mind me mentioning, there's Avon Munsey, there's Diane Maher, there's Sheila Brophy, you know, they're all powerful ladies on a mission, and we're with, with that with that A-team, and of course we're with Billy Goulding, Billy's recovery story. Billy, as a lot of us know there, was a young child at two years of age, just suddenly, just out of the blue, was paralysed from the neck down. Just a mystery. And what his mum, uh, Victor, and Eileen are doing, it's all at the beginning like they had great support because it was very, very fresh in everyone's mind but they have to fight for everything and like one example we gave them 12,000 out of one of the tractor Christmas tractors, Nina, and it mm-hmm. bought a special suit for them and it's great for us to know that it's local we can see what it's going for and they're very, very worthwhile causes, the A-team and, and Billy's recovery story. So now all you need then tomorrow week is good, fine weather, is that right Albert? There's, there's two things we need. We need good, fine weather, Jim, and we need people to come with a smile on their faces. Right, and that's if you... what that's what we need. Indeed, I meant to say we're guaranteed snow in Nina. Are we? That day. <laughs> All the snows in the parade, we're guaranteed. Actually, may I say that the the the, the, um, the 
silage harvester actually will be blowing out snow through the spout. That's I shouldn't be letting out that secret. Ah, uh, you shouldn't I'll be. Just te- I'll just tempt you with that, you know. <laughs> right, yo. And of course, they want to bring a few bob with them as well. They would, of course, but I mean, look, for, people are very generous this time of year. I know we hear all the bad media about the cost of living and all this, this, but I mean, when they see what's what's been put in front of them there, what what the agricultural contractors what they put on show. Like people are are very very generous. Actually, when you mentioned that, every year we have a problem for volunteers. You know, people are say that we haven't enough for buckets. It's people are are just willing to be asked. But like we're looking, I, I'm sending out a plea there, a call. If anyone, especially any adults that want to help that day, we'd love if they could come down to the mart at half four because you know we we do look for volunteers. We need to make it a safe event for obvious reasons. There's a huge crowd that's coming, but we need we need people to help us on that day. You know, a lot of clubs are getting involved, like Mothra the GA clubs and, and some of the other charities that we're involved in and other things that we do, you know. So if anyone has a spare two hours, they're more than welcome to join the team and join the crack for the for the evening. You know, we'd appreciate it. Right, Albert. Well, we are out of time. I wish you the best of luck. And I'm quite sure that it will be as spectacular as it ever has been in 2022 and that you raise an awful lot of money for your chosen charities. That listener... Jim, just just to say, sorry Jim, I want to thank yourself, I want to thank Gaiman of the Wire, Tip FM, Fran and just one last little surprise is on the Polar Express, the conductor himself is no other than John, no other than Johnny Luby. <laughs> so you can so that'll paint the atmosphere that we're trying to bring to the town of Nina. When we let someone out among the crowd there like Johnny Luby you can imagine what it's going to turn out like, you know. We sure can. Thanks very so please, much. <laughs> please, God, I'll be talking to the new year and, and we won't be coming out of Mount Joy or somewhere else. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. I want to wish you a very happy Christmas, Jim, and thanks very, very much. And to you and all your team, Albert. Thanks very much. God bless. Thanks that listeners God. was Albert Purcell. That listeners is Agriport for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll join me Jim Finn at the same time next week for another Ag Report on Tip FM. Coming up next is the news at 10 o'clock. And after that, Eamon Dewar presents Down Your Way.